I, after I wrote the messages, I continued to uh, collect quotes on humility. And so I want to read a few to you before I begin kind of fit the message, but I hadn't fit them into it. But for what it's worth, uh, here's one from Tim Keller. If you're a sinner saved by grace, the gospel takes you into the dust. And then it lifts you into the skies. There's a boldness and a humility that work together. I just, I love that. This one from Pastor Chuck Swindoll, from his Swindoll Study Bible, he says, at some point, you'll come to the place where you can no longer defend yourself or deliver yourself. Once here, you'll see God fight the battle for you. You can lay down your arms and just let it be. And then this also is going to fit the message today, and you'll see where it fits in when I get there. John Newton wrote, If a Christian be but a shoe cleaner, he should be the best shoe cleaner he can be. So if I uh, if we had time, I would I would have loved to have done a little exercise. I left you with a blank yesterday, and what I would do is I would have all of those who hated me for that go to that side of the room, and all of those of you who were okay with it go to that side of the room. And this side of the room, I would have assigned counselors to you for your OCD tendencies. <laughs> it really was not a test. I think you'll see I, the reason I wanted to separate those two quotes is by the time we get to the end of today, you will see a contrast and a comparison between the Moses we looked at yesterday, the Moses we are going to look at today. So the blank that you had yesterday that you did not fill in, <laughs> get to do it right now. <laughs> in Egypt, Moses had everything. Everything he could possibly imagine. He had everything. And yet he was discontent. In Egypt, Moses had everything, and yet he was discontent. Hold on to that thought. Today we are going to look we, at Moses in the wilderness. I kind of left you also hanging because in Exodus 2.15, we read that when Moses found out that he had been discovered killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sand, that he assumed that the Pharaoh had also found out word was getting around. And so he fled from Pharaoh and he ran to Midian. Midian is in the wilderness. So today we are going to be talking about wilderness experiences. There are physical wildernesses and there are metaphorical wildernesses. Spiritual wildernesses. I think we all resonate with 
St. John, when he said of the cross, when he said he lived for a season in the dark night of the soul. We get it. Those are wilderness experiences. None of us like them. I, I typically share, but I share this story with another message that I sometimes do on intimacy with the Lord. That my husband and I spent two weeks in northern Kenya, the northern frontier district of Kenya. It is, if there, if there is wilderness, it is the NFD. It is nothing but dry, barren, black, crispy little bushes, poisonous, viperous snakes. Anything that lives in that area will bite you kill you or eat you. It is not a fun place to be. And on top of that, we traveled for two full weeks on the back of camels. So um, my, I was miserable. Well, I don't know another way to say it. It was just a miserable experience. But the result, the end result of that wilderness experience was, and I won't tell you the whole story because maybe someday we'll be together again and you'll get that whole story, so I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> All you OCD people. <laughs> but the end of that experience was that the Lord taught me the sweetness of intimacy with him. Out of that wilderness experience came something that has been lifelong for me as far as a lesson in seeking intimacy with the Lord and hanging on to that intimacy and finding him daily and hearing that sweet, still, small voice speak personally to me. All because I spent two weeks on the back of a camel in a desert, barren, dry <coughs> thirsty-filled land. I want you to take just a moment. Some of you are in wildernesses. Some of you have been in wildernesses. Some of you will be if you're not. But if you currently are facing a wilderness, would you just jot down what your wilderness is? It may not be named Midian. It may be named something else. Maybe Team Dynamics conflict, maybe relationships, maybe family issues. It may be transition. Transition for me home, I've, I've already shared snippets of that, but transition for me home was a wilderness experience. I, 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 I had no niche. Like Moses and Midian, I love this quote from Chuck Swindoll in his little book on Moses. He said, in Midian, Moses found himself to be highly qualified, to be absolutely, completely useless. And that was me when I arrived in the U.S. after our years of service. The friends I'd had either had moved away or they had other friends and there just wasn't a, a place for me among them anymore. And so I reached out to a new community, but that takes time, right? Sometimes it takes almost two years. For me, it looked like the areas where I'd served, those were you know, taken up and filled in, rejoicingly so, by other people, but there was no place for me to serve. No 
niche in service. And so like Moses, I, I just felt, oh, well, and now on top of that, I sent my children into the lion's den public school. <laughs> I, I, was, I was like Moses, highly qualified to be completely useless. And nobody, you know, nobody who knew the, the, the knew me that grew out of service on the field even knew what I was capable of doing. And so I wasn't even asked. You know, those are things that we all face. You're all nodding your heads. You get it. You get it. What's your wilderness? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. I will say this. There has not been one wilderness in my life that I have been stuck in. Ever. It's seasonal. It's, Paul calls it, momentary affliction. <laughs> Even though it feels like a night can go on for days and days and days. But it's seasonal. And we need to remember that. But wilderness experiences are pretty amazing. And I learned something. I keep hanging on to this, but I'm going to sit down. I learned something in the middle of wilderness. Uh, and so here, here comes the word nerd. <clears throat> the word for wilderness in the Old Testament is midbar. M-I-D-B-A-R. It comes from... The root word, dabar, D-A-B-A-R. So out of the dabar comes, a mid, comes the midbar, and, and here's what dabar means. It means to speak a word over. It means to, um, it, it means to bring a word of encouragement, a word of truth, of a word of um, comfort. So out of, out of every midbar experience, I have found the Lord wants to speak a dubbar over me. There's a reason for midbars. It simply means it's, that we have space, we have seasonal times where things are in, in our struggle where, where we need to separate ourselves so that the Lord himself can speak into us. I find it very poetic <coughs> that in the middle of a midbar, wants to, God wants to always bring us a dabar. Always. And if God speaks, what did the song say? When you speak, when you move, when you do it, only you can do it. Does what? It changes us. God's word changes us. Every midbar experience is an opportunity for a dubbar to change us. And that's what God was doing in Moses. And good news, that's what God is doing in you and I in the middle of the midbars of our life. So I want to go on and read to you further in Exodus chapter 2 and then give a little commentary on that because 
In the Midbar, Moses now found himself, he's no longer going to the Temple of the Sun, Sun Temple University. God now enrolls him into Wilderness U. And he's going to take three classes in Wilderness U. And they all come from Exodus 2, starting at verse 15. And, um, and then I'll read on down. When, Mo when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father Jethro, some of your translations will say Ruel, uh, same, same person. So when they came home to their father Jethro, he said to them, How is it that you've come home so soon today? And they answered, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and he even drew water for us and watered our flocks. And he said to his daughter, then where is he, you stupid girls? <laughs> Just wanted to see if you were listening. <laughs> Why have you left the man? Call him so that he may come and eat bread with us. And so Moses comes back to his father-in-law, Ruel. The scripture passage goes on, and I don't have it written out on here, so I'm going to my Bible so that I can read you the rest of the passage. Um, okay, verse 20. He said to his daughters, then where is We did that part. 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So the first thing Moses does, he flees to Midian, which all my sources say, in case you're wondering, because I ask these questions and then I try to find the answers, so how far did he run? How far is Midian? So my sources all tell me it was somewhere between 300 and 360 miles. Probably he ran for 10 to 15 days, depending, and he was a man in good shape, so it may have been closer to 10. He was a military man. So he may have taken him closer to 10, but 10 days later, he arrives in Midian. And I find it so interesting that the Lord records for us the very first thing he does when he gets to the place where he's settling. Verse 15, what does he do? Sits down by a well. Do we care? We should care. <laughs> Absolutely we should care. He enrolled in class number one in Wilderness U. It's called sitting. Sitting by the well. God does incredible things by wells. He changes lives by wells. He offers living water to struggling women by wells. All of us need in our wilderness experiences to have good, strong seasons of sitting. 
with the Lord by the well, soaking in the living water of his word. Sitting by a well. The other thing about the word humility, it comes from a Latin word, oops, um, yeah. comes from a Latin word, humus, H-U-M-M-U-S, not hummus, <laughs> which does sound good right now, um, not hummus, not the lovely Mediterranean dip out of chickpeas that we have grown to love. But humus, it means down to the earth. We find humility the closer to the earth we go. And as a, as a part of the lessons that Moses was going to learn, he learned what being low to the ground looked like. Humus is, it speaks of decomposition. It speaks of living matter that has died, that settles on the ground. It speaks of animal waste, poop, that's on the ground, that decomposes. And out of that decomposition, we get fertile soil. Out of fertile soil comes much more beautiful flowers and fruit and vegetables that we garden. I spent a ton of time last summer with my garden, but I could not find compost anywhere in my town. And everybody that I asked it usually sold it, the nurseries, you know, the garden centers in Lowe's and Home Depot and our little local stores all said it's impossible to get right now. And if you do find it, you're going to pay an exorbitant price. I spent a lot of love and care on my garden, but I didn't produce good vegetables, not like I typically do. Why? Because I didn't have the compost. I didn't have the humus. The Lord uses the low to the ground, sitting by the well, soaking in living water, to allow our lives to decompose, so to speak, so that he can, once we come to that place of humility, raise us up and make us more productive and fruitful for him. But it takes sitting. This was where I was going to tell you about varnished poop. We don't decompose if we're varnished. So the varnish has to be stripped away in order to decompose so that it can then sink into the fertile soil of our lives and produce out of us something more fruitful. I did ask my husband to send a picture of our varnished elephant poop. How many pastors talk to you about poop? <laughs> anyway, I have it. Um, if you want to look at it, I'll, I'll find it, and I'll sit it out on one of the tables. Just in case you want to see what elephant poop looks like. So not, nothing, just no, nothing is ever wasted in God's economy. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. 
The second thing Moses does, the Jethro's daughters come to the well. They're wanting to water their sheep. Some other shepherds come. They drive. They want you. Know, to, this must be a pattern that they try to come early enough to water their sheep. But the shepherds come, drive the girls away. They can't water their sheep, and so they have to wait for the shepherds to leave, come, rewater them, and that's why Jethro says, "Why are you back so early?" The next thing Moses does, he's sitting on the ground soaking in living water and he just looks up and he does the next right thing. He serves. The prince of Egypt has never served. He has always been served. But here he is, low to the ground, he sees a need and he steps into it. He is the answer to a need. When we're in our wildernesses, it doesn't mean we go to bed, cover our heads with the blankets, cuddle down in and stay there for the rest of our lives until it passes. We, we spend time sitting and then we look, what's the next right thing I can be involved in? And from there, we serve. We step into serving. And Moses did that. This is where that quote from John Newton applies. If you be but just, you know, the shiner of shoes, then be the best shiner of shoes you can be. I loved this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. The best way to find out whether or not you really have a servant's heart is to see what your reaction is when somebody treats you like one. <laughs> Be involved. Go pick up a broom. Dust. Feed your neighbor donuts. <laughs> and whatever the next right thing is that's in front of you, you don't have to look far. Sir, Ruth Harms Calkin has a poem in her book. It's an old, old book. I, I just remembered as I was writing the message to pull it out because I, it, it, I, I've actually got it written in my, one of my older Bibles, and I couldn't find it, but the poem is titled, I Wonder. It's appropriate for me. It just, it just shoots me a blow when I read it. She says this, you know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at women's events? You know how I shine when I promote fellowship groups. You know my genuine enthusiasm at Bible studies. You know how I love to speak three times and not just one time. <laughs> then how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent broken and wrinkled old woman, day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. Moses was called to Midian to serve in obscurity. Nobody really saw him. I'm sure Jethro appreciated him. But nobody saw him and really nobody cared. 
nobody cared. But day after day, Moses looked for the next right thing, and he did it. So what happens next in Moses' life? Well, Jethro gives him a wife, and he allows him to shepherd his sheep. Class three. We have sitting, we have serving. Three, class three, he's shepherding. Do you ever think God's word is boring? Please don't. This is so funny. What did Egyptians hate more than anything? Shepherds. Shepherds. Moses, the prince of Egypt. Moses, the next in line for Pharaoh's throne. Moses, the one who never had to lift a finger in his life, who never served, who was served, who never sat on the ground, who never had anything you know, that he really had to do other than get pats on the back and be applauded for his efforts. Moses didn't even land on a social rung on the ladder, <laughs> the social ladder of the Egyptians. It, uh, for the Egyptians, on the social ladder, you know, down at the bottom, it was shepherds on the ground. Next was women, and above them was dogs. Moses was in the worst, lowest possible place of service he could be. And yet God wanted to teach him how to be compassionate. With those stinky, think about it, stinky, stubborn, rebellious, obstinate, filthy, dirty, Sheep. Well, that sounds just like the Israelites. God used his shepherding to teach him compassion, to teach him what it looked like to be a good shepherd. There are so many parallels between Moses' life and the life of Jesus. So many parallels. I have a sheet that gives them all. One of it had time to read them all, but it's just one after another of all these parallels. But the Lord used his shepherding to teach him how to love and tend and, and lead and guide a group of stubborn sheep because he was going to need for the next 40 years of his life, from 80 to 120 when he passed, to continue doing the very same thing. Again, nothing is wasted in God's economy. In every wilderness, we have sitting opportunities, or we make sitting opportunities. In every wilderness, there are places we can serve where the Lord uses that to train us in shepherding experiences where the Lord allows us to do what he says is the number one thing that is most like him. Shepherding, loving, guiding this sheep, humbly. Listen, if we are never more like the enemy than when pride is you know, being operated on in our life or we're operating out of pride in our life. We are never more like 
our Savior than when we are serving and shepherding and loving people. How do we know we're His? Because we reflect His love. If you love me, He says, you will follow my commandments. If you love me, Jesus Himself washed the feet of His disciples. Think about that for a minute. Think whose feet He washed. He washed the feet of men, 12 men. Some of them were going to run away the minute he was arrested and hide themselves. One of them was going to betray him three times and say, I never knew you. Never knew him. And one of them, one of them was going to sell him out with 30 pieces of silver. And he washed all their feet. Why? So you and I would know that we serve best when we serve humbly. So that you and I would know that our walk, our journey through this world is walked humbly. Warren Wiersbe says, Jesus wanted his disciples to remember the importance of being a servant and walking this earth in humility and boldness. It kind of fits the same quote I read you from Tim Keller. Humble people are gentle people. So Moses went from thinking that he was large and in charge, right? He was the almost God. He was the almost I am that I am. To really being a little I, little A, little M. I am that I am. Um, in his life, he was as low and as little as he could get. He lost everything. No more prestige. No more palatial home. No more power. No more potential. No more purpose. No more provision, no more premier education, no more popularity. His ego was smashed to smithereens. He was nothing. He was a nobody. Those are the first two blanks down at the bottom of your page, by the way. But <clears throat> did you pick up on the key word in Exodus 2.21? Moses and Midian was nobody. He was nothing. But if you have your Bibles, take a look. Exodus 2, 21. But Moses was, what's the word? Content. In Egypt, he had everything. Here in Midian, he had nothing, and he was content. Paul tells us in Philippians, you and I, we can learn contentment in the wilderness. Paul tells us it's not an emotion that we just feel because everything is going our way and life is good and I'm excited about it. He tells us we can learn the secret to contentment. And honestly, the secret to contentment is found when we enter Midian and we sit down by a well, we serve, and we shepherd. And we allow God to use us 
in the midst of the circumstances that aren't the most pleasant. We just wake up each morning and open our hands when we open our eyes and lay them out in front of them and say, I am yours. How do you want to use me today? Whether things are going great or things are going good, I'm yours to be useful. Let me wash the feet of a wrinkled and bent crippled woman day after day in a room where nobody cares and nobody sees. If that's what you want me to do, I will do it with all of my heart for you. I, I, I really truly believe Moses made friends with his wilderness. He didn't just acquiesce to it. He didn't just accept it with a sigh of resignation. I really believe he made friends with his wilderness. I think that's what contentment is. I think contentment is seeing that God, yeah, I don't like it. I don't have to like it. But it's seeing that God wants to use that wilderness experience to further my story. There are so many times in my life and for sake of time, I'm not going to share some of those hard places, but so many times in my life where I've been in the midst of what I just call hard. You, you get it. I don't have to say more than that, right? I've just been in the middle of hard, and I don't like it. I want it to go away. I want it to go away on my timing, or at least tell me when it's going to go away so I can be prepared for it and see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. But if I had rushed it, if I had not just picked up and continued to put one foot in front of the other and found the next right thing to do to serve him, if I had not reached out and loved on people and shepherded people, that the Lord put in my path within my circumference of my world, I would not have learned all that God had for me. And through him, my character has been transformed. My character has changed. I'm a much nicer person than I used to be. Much nicer. I'm much more gentle. Here's where I've seen it the most. I have never, growing up, I was not taught this. I, for me, it was hard. I did not even know what thoughtfulness looked like. And through some of those circumstances, the Lord, you know, he uses the heart to form compassion in us, Second Corinthians tells us. When we are comforted with the comfort of others, we're able to give Comfort, right? That's what, what Paul says. And I, through hardship, the Lord has smoothed away a lot of the rough edges. And I, if there's one thing that's come out of it, I would say it would be a, I'm a lot more thoughtful, I, I think, and I feel a lot more for somebody else. I, I've always said on, this, on the Myers-Briggs <coughs> scales of personality profile tests, and, and on spiritual surveys where, you know, they, they, they check your, your giftings where mercy is concerned, I don't even fit the scale. 
I'm a minus 15. But slowly, a little bit, over a little bit, over time, one hard circumstance after another hard circumstance after another hard circumstance, I'm about at a zero. I'm, you know, I'm, get, I'm, I'm improving, I'm getting there. I, I laugh because um, when I was a dean of women on college campus, we did the, no, it was Gallup's survey for the strength finders. I don't know if any of you have ever done the strength finder. And my number one surprised me to no end. It was empathy. Because I don't reach the scale of mercy, right? So how can I have empathy if I have no mercy in my life? And so I asked the Gallup people when they came to our, our university to train us, and I said, how can this be? Zero in mercy. And he said, oh, here, it's easily explained. You sense what other people are feeling. Like, I, if Pat walks in the room, I can get a general sense of whether she's content or happy or sad. But you know what? I really don't care. <laughs> and that, that's what... That's what he said. That's how you explain it. I get a general sense of what's happening in this room right now. I don't care. But little by little, I don't like that about me, that I don't care. So little by little, the Lord is refining all of us. What are your weaknesses? Well, he wants to refine them in the wilderness. You identified at the beginning what your wilderness is. You can, I can guarantee you one of those things is the weakness that just popped into your head. He's going to want to refine that. All right, I'm getting ready to close. Here it is. Sorry, I went just a little bit over here. Contentment is a heart at rest that accepts and is even able to flourish in spite of your circumstances. God used the wilderness to drive all of Egypt out of Moses so that Moses could now be what Paul told Timothy, who wished and prayed that Timothy would become a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. At this point in Moses' life, nothing was below him. No position or request should be beneath you or I either for what we are about to learn. And then there's this pride. Here's another step. Pride is also weakened in us, and humility is strengthened in us when we become nothing and are ready to be available to the Lord. When we're available, you and I are ready for our burning bush moments. So as we close today, it, the best place to be is low, <coughs> seated on the ground, becoming hum humus, serving God, washing feet, shepherding people, loving on them. Ask yourself the question, where can I do that in my life right now?